friends, it's me, Katie Ann, and your host of the Full Confidence Ahead podcast, where we go on a journey together tackling the fears of life from family relationships to finance, from careers and community, and today, we're going to say space. <laughs> this is kind of fun. You guys, we have on here my friend, Chris, who grew up in Utah, Nevada, California, Washington, and now he's exploring the space world, but not actually physically through a lot of study, and we're so excited to have him on. Chris, can you just say hi to everyone here at the podcast? Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode. It is a pleasure to be here. We are so excited to learn from you. Okay, so Chris, so for our background, we just want to give you a little bit of background to our podcast listeners. You did aerospace engineering at USU, and then right now you're finishing up at Purdue in your master's. And you're going to help me on this title because these are words I don't use very often. So if I mispronounce it, but aeronautical and astronautical engineering, right? Did I nail it? Yeah. Yeah, you nailed it. It's kind of funny. The the program at Purdue does have a little bit of a funny name. Uh Um, Aeronautical engineering usually refers to stuff with planes and anything that's in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, there's a lot of a lot of study on. Uh, in layman's terms, flying cars, uh, in, in researcher terms, advanced air mobility. Um, Ooh, so that would be I like the flying cars. <laughs> I like yeah, flying no, cars that... better. I'm like, yep, <laughs> that's my terms. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what people would be used to hearing. Um, right. at Purdue, right. they, they usually refer to it as like urban air mobility or advanced air mobility or something Whoa. like that. So that's the aeronautical side. And then the astronautical side, um, Purdue is actually the, the kind of, university that has sent more astronauts into space than any other in the world. So That's there's something crazy. like 25 or 30 astronauts from there. Uh, Neil Armstrong went there. Our big aerospace oh. building is named after him. And so, um, yeah, aeronautical and astronautical engineering. That's kind of where they get the name. I had no idea they were different. I'm so glad you told me because I'm like, yeah, astro kind of means like space or like asteroids, right? <laughs> like that's that's the extent of my knowledge. Like that is why we have you as the expert today. <laughs> we're so excited to learn from you. But we also have to let our podcast listeners know, okay, you guys, Chris is a music junkie. He knows the ins and outs of music. And we have to know, besides country music, just kidding. He's glaring at me. He's totally glaring. He doesn't like country music, but uh, I thought that was good. But besides, besides that, what's your favorite music or what's your favorite band? Well, man, you know, I, I just love music so much. I actually, I did uh, listen to your episode where you're interviewing that professor about the Beatles. Yes. Um, so I have a, a great love and passion for older music from especially the seventies and eighties. Um, Usually when I think of my, my favorite music, I kind of split it into electronic. My two mm-hmm. favorite artists there are Cascade and Roiksop. And wow. then in the rock world, my three favorite bands are 311, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Muse. Red Hot Chili Peppers, let's go. <laughs> uh, we all want to help Chris convert over to the countryside. So if you have any ideas of good songs, let me know, DM me in <laughs> On Instagram, we'll send him to Chris. He definitely Katie needs to be a doctor. use the help. It's going to take a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're trying one country song at a time. So anyways, we are on the bandwagon of Convert Chris to Country. But today we're talking about aerospace engineering. Well, space in general. Space is pretty cool, Chris, right? Like you like to study space stuff. Well, yeah. Um... Those are my technical terms. 
You know, I uh, I mentioned to my dad this morning that I'd been invited to to come on to this podcast, and uh-huh. he asked me, "So, Chris, uh, when would you say you first got interested in space? Like, when when did yeah. this become? You know, how did you kind of figure out that you wanted to do this, basically?" And um, unlike a lot of people in my field of study, I was not the kid who grew up with like space posters on his wall or like model rockets or anything like that. Um, I was a pretty normal kid. I liked kind of all of the topics in school and um, kind of in the later years of high school, I took physics and calculus classes. Mm -hmm. And um, before then I liked science and math, but once I took those classes, I was kind of amazed at the things that you could do with just mm-hmm. a pen and paper. So I was really amazed with what you could do with just paper and pencil. Um, we did projects in my calculus class where you would just uh, do a derivative and you would be able to find how all of these different rates of change are going to empty a tank of water or are going to determine where a cannonball is going to land. Mm-hmm. or all of these really complicated problems that um, if anyone knows anything about engineering history, uh, artillery engineers and all of these different mathematicians for hundreds of years have been able to do this because Newton invented calculus hundreds of years ago. But I just had no idea that people could do this kind of stuff by hand. I thought you had to have computers for that sort of thing. And I literally thought it was like magic. Whenever I tell non-math people this, they're like, oh, okay, you're pretty weird, Chris. But, <laughs> uh, that's that's totally how it felt to me. I thought it was super uh-huh. cool. And, and I just had the best math teacher for calculus. He was a really cool guy. Um, so anyway, th- those classes definitely got me thinking, well, I like physics and I like mm-hmm. math. I like calculus. So um, if you like physics, then kind of the most practical thing to do generally is to be a mechanical engineer. And that's kind of what the, the largest chunk of engineers do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I started out in school um, just kind of studying mechanical engineering. And while I was at school, I've always been a big reader and listened to a lot of audiobooks. I somehow heard about Elon Musk. And uh, keep in mind, this was like uh, six or seven years ago. So this is before he was the richest man right. in the world. This was before everyone knew about him. That's all happened only in like six years. Oh, uh, I mean, he Whoa. was a he was an amazing person six or seven years ago, but a lot has developed since then. Wow, wow. Um, I mean, I I would I would talk with people all the time about Elon Musk uh, after mm-hmm. I listened to his biography, and I'd say eighty percent of the people that I mentioned him to had never heard of him before. But everyone has heard of Elon Musk now. I mean, he's right. one of the now most famous like... people in the world. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah. And so anyway, I, I listened to his audiobook, to his uh, biography. And long story short, um, he, he founded the company SpaceX. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone knows him for Tesla. But the, the story for SpaceX is perhaps even more amazing than the, the story of Tesla. Um, and... I just was kind of amazed because I'd never really thought that um, people traveling out in space and, you know, all these cool science fiction movies that I enjoyed, I I thought that was like a hundred years from now. I I didn't think that that was something that would be happening soon. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And what that book helped me realize was that there were people who are making a huge difference in the industry right now at mm -hmm. SpaceX. And they basically just needed somebody with the vision to make it happen because the technology has advanced quite a lot. It's just there hasn't been economies of scale and there hasn't been um, kind of a, a open free market system to it yet. It's been developing since mm -hmm. Elon started the company. Um, so anyway, I, I just learned all about that stuff and it helped me realize that that's a really cool goal to get more people into space and to, uh, to just be contributing my skills in mechanical engineering to that problem. I knew that I wanted that skill set and to advance that skill set, but listening to that book helped me realize that's the problem that I wanted to work on. Interesting. So that's kind of so how it got started. That's it's so cool just to kind of see like where your passion came from because it's it's something you're like okay, I enjoyed the calculus, I enjoyed the physics, and then a book, right? Kind of combined all those things for you and. I think your story just kind of helps me understand, you know, you never know of the simple things in your day-to-day -day life that could literally alter the rest of your life. Like you listened, I'm sure you probably didn't start listening to this Elon Musk book and think like, wow, this is going to change. So I don't know. Did you? Let's ask that first. Oh, <laughs> Maybe you not did. at all. You know, okay, I, and I, you it's kind yeah. of funny because I mentioned it earlier. I don't even remember how I heard about Elon Musk because back then he just wasn't as well known. Mm -hmm. I'd maybe heard of Tesla cars yeah. Um, and maybe heard the name SpaceX, but I, I didn't know any more about the space industry than anyone else at the time. Yeah. So I didn't know the impact that the company was having, but yeah. basically Elon Musk's philosophy. And if anyone has ever heard him talk about the actual engineering of something, this is going to sound very familiar is, um, simplify your designs. The best part is no part. And just do what is absolutely minimally necessary to get the job done, which in some other industries may just not make that much sense. But in the space industry, that was completely revolutionary. And, wow. you know, I, I could go into all these different details, but I'll try and uh, stick yeah. to most of your, your questions. But his, his design philosophy um, was just fascinating to me. He, he got his bachelor's degree in physics so he's a very much from the ground up kind of guy. He's yeah. not just a, a businessman. He is one of the best engineers in the world. Software wow. engineer, uh, aerospace engineer, electrical engineer. I mean, it's unbelievable um, how much Elon Musk knows. So his story definitely inspired me for some of those reasons. So was it really after listening to his story that you're like, that's it, I'm finding an aerospace program? Or how did it change from like, wow, this really cool person had some of similar passions that I did into like, this is what I'm pursuing? Where was that translation for you? Well, um, you know, my story, I, I see myself as kind of an untraditional student. So perhaps mm -hmm. that'll be of some use to some of your listeners. Um, mm -hmm. I... I grew up in high school. I was a good student, did well in school. And um, I grew up in a church where the culture is for everybody who's a young man to go and serve a two-year service mission. Mm -hmm. And I had every expectation to do that. Mm -hmm. And I planned to figure out college once I got back. Mm -hmm. And very long stories short, 
um, I didn't go on my mission and I was just working for a while and I was waiting to go on my mission. And eventually I decided, well, while I'm waiting, instead of working, I'm going to start going to school. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really hadn't thought about college very much. So I just went to the nearest college that was kind of low key. It was pretty much open admission. Um, I had a 4.0 GPA and I had a 34 on the ACT. Ooh. So if I if I chose to go you to some <laughs> nice school and if I prepared, yeah. I'm sure I could have. Right. But instead, I, I came to UVU. That's actually where I'm at today, uh-huh. um, working. So anyway, I, I came here and I didn't have a ton of direction with college. I was just uh-huh. like, well, I'm going to work on my engineering classes and I'll figure this out down the road, probably still after my mission. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't end up serving a mission. And while I was here at UVU, I listened to that book mm-hmm. and they didn't even have a full engineering program. They just had an associate's degree. So after our two or three years, me and all my buddies in the program here, it's a very small program. There Mm -hmm. were about 20 or 30 of us who were all in the same classes together because there was only one section for all of our classes. So we all knew each other pretty well after we'd been here for a couple of years. All of us had to transfer. And most of us actually ended up transferring up to Utah State University. Mm -hmm. And I'd say actually almost all of us, uh, the program at USU is a mechanical and aerospace engineering program. Mm -hmm. That's the only program in Utah that has any sort of aerospace engineering. So after I listened to Elon Musk's book, that was obviously what I wanted to do. Most of my buddies, they they just kind of wanted to do mechanical engineering. But as it happens, when you get exposure to that, a lot of us end up wanting to do aerospace engineering. Um, so it it was a very gradual thing for me. You know, I, I didn't have any family or friends who were engineers. I just knew this was kind of what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, like I said, I kind of had a non-traditional, it wasn't the perfect, most optimal, efficient way or anything. Right. Um, but I, I found out what I wanted to do. Utah state university was the nearest program. It was the cheapest. Um, it was well ranked, uh, well Mm -hmm. enough. And Mm -hmm. kind of an added bonus, they had a research foundation that employed students and did a lot of space projects. And um, they're called the Space Dynamics Lab. And I made every effort to get in there. And I actually got a job um, in undergrad. And I was able to get about three years of experience there while I was going to USU. So all of those things had a a big impact in kind of teaching me about the industry and letting me know a little bit more about what I wanted to do. You know, I'm so glad you shared your story of, and you kind of prefaced it like you're the non-traditional student, but I think that's more, I, I kind of want to flip it and be like, that is tradition. Like that, that's kind of what I think 90% of us feel like we're experiencing. And probably about 10% are the people who are like, that's it. I know exactly what I'm doing. I think we, many of us had the experience of going to college and flipping a major or like you had a delay. And so that's so interesting to me that you have this point in time where you didn't necessarily have like a pinpoint direction and it evolved over time as well. And, and that's okay to allow that to happen. And I think, I think the big factor is you just kept moving forward, right? Is you're like, okay, well, I'm stuck here. This isn't my life plan. I'm working. Might as well do school. Like you just took the next step, even though it wasn't like, well, I'm going to go to the biggest school and do this super specialized program. You know what? You didn't know, but you 
took a step forward. And I think that's sometimes the best thing that we can do. And we're excited to keep talking to you about what your steps has turned into right after we hear from our sponsors. We're just so grateful for our sponsors because they are the reason that we even have this podcast. They make it possible to us. So we're just going to give a moment and then we'll jump right back in. This is actually a great time to pause and have a moment for our sponsors because they have given me so much confidence in the financial world. I actually started this podcast because I was afraid of finances for a really long time until I took a class on how to budget and my fear changed to confidence. Utah Money Moms has continued to help my confidence grow. They provide free webinars and downloadable resources to help you understand your money personality and hone it in to make a good financial future. One of my favorite resources is their free downloadable calendars. I love the 2021 calendar because it gave me small, doable financial goals each month. So head on over to utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram to download their 2022 finance calendar and start your journey of finances with confidence. Again, that's utahmoneymoms.com or utahmoneymoms on Instagram. Okay, we're back from our break and we were just hearing from Chris about his his pathway kind of on this non-traditional educational, which, which was actually really relieving, at least for me to hear of like, okay, well, you know what? Sometimes you don't necessarily come to life and you find your purpose, but you create it every step you go and you're, you're making that. And, and that's kind of what's happened in your life, Chris. And now we kind of want to transition into you figured out aerospace engineering. Now you're at Purdue, like really specializing in what you enjoy. So what is aerospace engineering. What is space? What's the space economy? Help me understand. There's there's some super cool stuff happening in the news with with space economy and and we just don't even know what those words means. So we're so excited for you to like break that down for us. Can you just get us started? Teach me like space 101. Um yeah, sure. So I would say, you know, I, when when I listened to Elon Musk's book, mm-hmm. I you know, SpaceX is, for those who aren't aware, SpaceX is all about launching rockets. That, mm-hmm. or, well, at least that's what, what their business plan was. Now, actually, today, most of their valuation comes from their satellite internet constellation. Oh. Um, but when they first started, it was just completely about launching rockets. Mm-hmm. And um, so I knew that they were launching rockets, but I had no idea about, you know, what's the size of the market? Like, what's the breakdown of the market? Um, what what sort of demand do companies like SpaceX face? Because, you know, they could make really cool rockets, but if there aren't enough customers, like who cares, you know? Right. Um, so my first kind of education on that was working at the Space Dynamics Lab mm-hmm. where they manufacture satellites. Um, they, do, they do kind of testing for a lot of people who make satellites because they have specialized facilities there. So... Um, to, to no surprise for anyone who's listening, I'm sure a huge part of the space economy and kind of what makes things run is heavy, heavy government involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, a, quite a lot of the launches and the spending has always been tied to the defense uh, sector. And I won't, we, we just don't have too much time today, so I won't go into the history too much, but um you know, in, in the earliest days of kind of space programs, of course, there was the Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union. And um, I was curious myself, I, I did a little research because I wanted to share with folks, how did it even begin? Like, what was the purpose right. of Sputnik? 
And in the 50s, scientists realized, well, we can transmit signals um, from all these radio towers on Earth, or maybe we could do it from something in space and it would be able to get over a much wider area. Because, of course, in those days, radio was very popular. TV was pretty new still. So anyway, they, they started to realize that that might be a capability. And uh, the USSR and the U.S. just kind of kept pushing their limits and seeing what they could do. Hmm. And uh, every mission was kind of pushing the boundaries and expanding what they were able to do. And uh, eventually, there, there were openings for commercial opportunities. And really, the biggest one... This has been a little bit of a surprise to me, but the biggest one has actually been satellite TV all around the world. Wait, really? Uh, yeah. It, like if you look at the oh. kind of pie of the space economy, yeah. um, satellite TV is definitely the biggest chunk. And when we say space economy, we're meaning like anyone who's making money off of throwing something into the atmosphere, right? Yeah. So actually, I, you know, as part of my research uh, for my mm -hmm. thesis, I've, you know, learned a lot more about this. And if, if you look at the space economy today, it's around $400 billion. And wow. that's roughly split into three equal thirds. Okay. About a third of that is government spending. Okay. About a third of that is satellite services. So satellites that are already up there, like satellite TV satellites, uh -huh. and you know they're they're up there and they're basically making money for the companies because okay. they're sending signals or transmitting things or whatever. Um, and then the third category is all of the ground equipment that goes into supporting that satellite dishes, GPS chips for our phones, all sorts of equipment like that is another wow. huge chunk. And then a pretty small part of the pie, um, I'm looking at the 2020 statistics right now for, yeah. for reference, uh, a pretty small part of the pie is satellite manufacturing mm -hmm. and then the entire rocket launch industry. Out of, in 2020, huh. the total space economy around the world was $371 billion. And of that, 5.3 billion was the rocket launch industry. So it's much smaller than I thought it would be. It's probably smaller than you thought it would right. be too. Right, it's way smaller than I thought because thinking of the pie, I was like, oh, for sure, a third of that, just for the fact that it ends up in the news quite a bit. Oh, yeah. You know, and just that I hear about it quite a lot and I'm like, oh yeah, SpaceX or NASA, they're they're doing all these things. Well, and um, obviously yeah. it's, it's the most visible part. You know, when we see right. a rocket launch, it's like, right. oh my gosh, wow, that's so cool. And <laughs> we is. don't see all the little companies all around the world mm -hmm. that are very painstakingly making these satellites that have to be in clean rooms hmm. and they have to have electrical protections. I worked on those kinds of systems at the Space Dynamics Lab, and it's very mm -hmm. painstaking work. And it's valued at about two and a half times the launch industry. But no oh. one knows anything about it. It's very small, you know, Interesting. It's, it's not very visible, I would say. Hmm. So, you know, that that's just a little bit of the breakdown. And then if you look at that satellite services chunk, if, if you break down that portion, um, again, just giving you the exact numbers in 2020, satellite services were valued at $120 billion of that almost two thirds, uh, 88% billion dollars was just satellite tv interesting and then the last third is made up of kind of 
transmission of fixed signals between uh, government agencies and things like that. And Mm -hmm. all the other chunks are pretty small. The next biggest one is radio. Mm -hmm. And then all the other chunks are for broadband internet, um, mobile transmissions, which is not cell phones, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. And then um, remote sensing, which I thought was a lot bigger. That's where you have Google Maps and all these different Mm -hmm. satellite imaging companies that provide data to, um, you know, companies who want to know about the traffic in different areas or how things have grown, surveying, that kind of thing. So the biggest chunk is definitely the satellite TV and then just the, the transmission of information. And that fixed services one was kind of the biggest surprise to me recently. I knew satellite TV was big, but I was thinking with the internet, why would anyone transfer something over satellites? That seems like it'd be way more expensive than it's worth and it would have lag and everything. And um, I guess kind of the rationale is for TV providers. um, If you, if you upload something online, like think of, uh, your, your local your local TV station or something. Mm-hmm. If they uploaded something online, they'd have to get all of the licensing rights for all of the music and the commercials and everything to send all over the world. Mm-hmm. But if they do just a fixed transmission to their satellite that they rent out and then to whatever, you know, Dish or Direct TV or whoever they're sending it out to, um, they can encrypt it and it just goes to them. So they don't need the licensing mm-hmm. for everything. And for governments and different groups, they can send their messages encrypted. It's secure. It's not bogged down by the traffic of the internet. And that is what justifies this $16 billion a year um, fixed satellite services market. So that's like super technical, but um, yeah, those are kind of some of the breakdowns of where the space economy is right now. It's interesting because I don't think just outsiders from that world were like oh yeah you know we just don't know that breakdown and so that's so interesting and now I want to like kind of dive into what is what is your part of the space economy like what do you specialize in like and how did you choose your thesis and kind of walk us through what is that for you yeah so um when I was at Purdue which I don't know if we'll have much time to talk about it today, but my whole story of how I got to Purdue mm-hmm. um, is is also um, pretty impactful, I think, for a lot of engineering students. Mm-hmm. But just a, a quick plug, I would say for you know other engineering students, um, look into research assistantships with professors or teaching assistantships, because I always thought grad school was kind of out of reach because I thought it would yeah. cost tens of thousands of dollars. And in my case, I was able to go and get paid to go to school. And it was my job to research for my professor. So um, not every university offers that, but Purdue does. Others do as well. Um, So, yeah, definitely look into those options. But my my research group studies uh, complex systems, systems of systems. So like Mm -hmm. I mentioned, the flying cars, the urban air Mm -hmm. mobility earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, That's something a lot of people in my research group studied. And we just studied all sorts of problems like that, where it's kind of a big logistical tricky theme and it relates to aerospace. So usually pretty much everything that we did was from computer simulations that we would Mm -hmm. make ourselves. And as I was talking with my professor about what I wanted to do for my thesis, um, he knew that I was interested in seeing the space economy grow and especially in seeing more people get up into space. Yeah. Um, Because satellites are cool, whatever, rockets are cool. But 
it's inspiring to me to think about more people being up in space. And I, I completely believe that it's going to be changing in our lifetimes in a big way in the next 10 or 15 years. Um, but it all has to be economically viable first. It's not just going mm-hmm. to randomly happen. So as I was talking with my research advisor about this, um, he recommended that I do kind of a long-term study mm-hmm. and kind of see, see how the system performs and see if we could kind of understand and kind of take some conclusions away from the system. So um, without getting super duper technical, there's kind of a software modeling method that can be used to do that, that is useful for these longer term studies. Mm -hmm. And it's called system dynamics. Mm -hmm. And um, it it was just kind of invented by this professor at MIT in the 60s to study really complex corporations and kind of be able to tell how different policies will impact these organizations. Hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously pretty complicated, but that's that's kind of the idea behind the thesis is um, testing policies that we can implement today, testing a whole bunch of different policies and scenarios, yeah. and then trying to determine what which policies would be most effective in a lot of scenarios. Because we can't predict the future, yeah. but we can look at a lot of different tests and simulations and say, well, okay, these kinds of policies were good in, you know, the majority of cases. So we're going to recommend this kind of approach. So we're trying to find which of these kinds of policies are going to have the best impact on the system, given all of the uncertainties involved, because we, we just can't account for everything, but we do the best we can to set up a bunch of realistic scenarios and then you know, see what the results will be, um, guess which sectors are going to grow the most and kind of see how things will develop over that 20 year period. So if you could have an ideal space economy in 20 years, what would that look like? What would it look like? Oh, okay. If the news was coming out, would you say like, okay, well, we launched 12,000 rockets. I'm just throwing it <laughs> like crazy numbers. And there was like, 40,000 people in space and only like, like the satellites, like what's your ideal scenario? You know what? It's so funny. I'd actually never thought about that. And I think Mm -hmm. it's a great question. I've always just thought of, well, you know, what will happen? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm, I'm kind of like Elon Musk. He was asked one time, if you could change every car in the world to be electric right now, would you? And he was like, heck no, that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. Like we, yeah. we don't have the energy production or, you know, all these other yeah. things to make that reasonable, that that's not feasible right now. So I would say the same thing with space. I'm not saying, Hey, let's have, you know, every country spend 10% of their GDP on, on the space economy. That's not necessary. I, I would just hope that, you know, NASA, for example, would, and, and other companies and other countries around the world um, would really use their money that they have wisely Mm -hmm. and they would really invest in sustainable outlets. So for example, SpaceX is developing a fully reusable rocket right now, and that can bring the cost to launch way down. It's so obvious to people in my industry, but the example we always use is if a 747 wasn't reusable, it would cost $60 million to fly on an airplane and no one would do it. But airplanes are reused hundreds or thousands of times. And so Mm -hmm. it's economical to fly. 
Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with launching anything into space. If we can't have reusable rockets, it's just going to be too expensive. So 20 years from now, I would hope that from a variety of different uh, outlets, it would be cheaper to launch and governments would really be facilitating growth of just startup companies that make sense, startup companies that are fulfilling a need. Um, just kind of one fun little thing I'll share with you guys. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool things getting into the industry right now. I mean, they're calling it the new space race and we just, we only have so much time on this podcast, but um, you know, with, with the lowering cost to launch and with the kind of shrinking of computer components, they're able to get a lot more bane for your buck in these satellites. And it's, it's letting us do things that weren't possible 20 years ago. So some of the coolest applications, in my opinion, are um, manufacturing in space. So when you're in space, there's really? no dust, there's no gravity, basically. It's, it's called microgravity, technically, uh -huh. but there's basically no gravity. And um, it's, it's kind of a very stable environment. And there are a few very precision applications, like mm -hmm. printing fiber optic cables, Mm -hmm. um, certain very sensitive electrical components. And then the most exciting one is 3D printed organs that can't be made on earth economically. Whoa. Yeah. That's <laughs> Everybody, cool. It always catches everyone's uh, attention when you say 3D printed organs. And right. it, it actually is a viable use of that application because if you try and print what? tissue on earth, the layers smush together. Uh -huh. But they've already done experiments for this in space, and they already know that it works. If you 3D print these layers in space, there's time what? for them to kind of settle together and they can get tissue. So there's actually a company right now, they've been funded for millions of dollars called Varda mm -hmm. Space Industries. And they're hoping to launch one of these little in-space factories mm -hmm. in, the next year, uh, in the next year or two. So uh, there's companies like that one and a bunch of other startups that are doing really cool stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of think of the space industry as a little bit similar to the internet. When the mm -hmm. internet came out 20 years ago to the mainstream, everyone thought that it wasn't needed. They had phone books. They thought the internet was silly. Right. They thought right. it was more work right. than it was worth. And then, you know, a, a couple years went by and everyone realized, wow, this is really useful. So, you know, they, they didn't realize all the cool things they could do with the internet back then. And I, I think it's very much the same way with space. We do know a lot of cool stuff that we can do with space already. And there is quite a lot of demand for that. But I think there are all these other applications that we haven't even considered yet. Hmm. And, you know, over the next 20 years or so, I think a lot of these are going to be coming out and they're, they're going to be impacting our lives. That's crazy. I'm like, all right, tissues like made in... In space, like that's crazy to me that you can print an organ. As we're kind of wrapping up, I do have to ask you before we ask our golden question, but do you want to go to space? Ooh, so, you know, this might surprise you a little bit. Uh -huh. I, I feel no burning desire to go to space. Sure, yeah. I, I think it would be cool, but yeah. if I was just, you know, I, I've had the great pleasure um, at Purdue and at other places of meeting all of these people who are PhDs, they have mm -hmm. pilot's licenses. They have hundreds or thousands of hours of flight experience. They speak multiple languages. Yeah, It's been their lifelong dream to be an astronaut. They've done everything that they possibly could to yeah. do it. 
one of the guys in my group was in like the final 300 people recently for Europe Whoa. space agency. And he got turned down for the second time. There, there are people like that who want to be astronauts and they're, yeah. they're very qualified, Yeah. but they can't because every year only about eight people get to go to space right now. Oh my so I, you know, rather than me going to space, I don't care about it that much personally. Mm-hmm. I just think that, and, and I did kind of want to share this. I'll, I'll just kind of share the yeah. short version. Yeah. Um, Elon Musk has this quote and it's actually on SpaceX's mission statement. Mm-hmm. And it says, you want to wake up in the morning and think the future is going to be great. And that's what being a spacefaring civilization is all about. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And I can't think of anything more exciting than going out there and being among the stars. Uh, naturally, a lot of people ask, does space justify the cost? And it's a very relevant question to ask. And, um, you know, I, I would never ignore that question. And, I, and we could talk about that for quite a while. Um, but I don't think anyone could deny that getting more people into space, you know, putting men on the moon, uh, getting people on Mars, that's very exciting and it's very inspiring. And, you know, if it can also serve a commercial purpose, if it can serve a scientific purpose, then we should do everything that we can within reason, you know, if we can fund these other things uh, to facilitate that and to make it happen. So, you know, it's just kind of an inspiring thing to me. I I didn't see any other area that interested me more in applying my skills. So I just really want to make people like all these others that I've met who really want to go to space. I want to make that Mm -hmm. possible. It's just a real shame to me that that can't happen right now. Yeah. It's so unique that you get to be a part of that. Like in your in this time where the space economy is changing and you're you're diving into it. And we want to know as we're wrapping up, our golden question is, what is one piece of advice that you'd give your younger self to boost your confidence? So I knew that this question was going to be asked. And mm-hmm. uh, my question is probably going to surprise you a little bit because um, I'm it going says, to say... Listen to more country music. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, no, that that is not my answer. (laughs) Uh, My answer is actually uh, to work out consistently. Uh Oh, I like that. Okay. The the reason why I say that is because, um, you know, like I said, I did great in school. Uh And, you know, I I did sports and things a bit. So I, I didn't have big confidence questions in a lot of areas. Yeah. But I never was as, as, fit as I wanted to be. I was always a skinny guy growing up. Mm -hmm. And uh, this last year, I have learned about what makes working out work effectively. So you're not wasting your time. Yeah. And uh, I've been much more consistent with working out. And uh, I've heard lots of people say this, and it's been very true for me. It's a huge confidence booster. If you can, you know, I'm not setting anyone's goals for them, but if you just have personal goals, and then you go pursue them. Um, so for some people that might be running, for some people it might be weightlifting. Um, but if you make that happen, I think that's a huge confidence booster. It's certainly been for me. I'm actually glad you shared that one. That's because I love hearing every single week of people's individual unique confidence boosters, and that's one I have never heard. And I'm so glad yeah. that you shared that. I'm like, I figured it's, most it's people so would give some sort of like a mental thing. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I, I felt like I always had the the drive to pursue my dreams in a lot of ways. Yeah. 
I, I didn't doubt that so much. And I like, we didn't have time to get into it, but I failed many courses yeah. in uh, my college, in my college journey. And I had to figure everything out myself, you know, Yeah. but I, I never really doubted that if I kept pushing forward, I could make these things happen. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't feel like I needed to add a big boost there. Cause I felt like where I was at at the time, uh, when I was 20 or 18 or whatever, it, it was right for the time, you know, it, right. like I said, it wasn't the perfect journey, but it was enough. And uh, it ultimately enabled me going to this awesome school at Purdue. So um, you don't have to have the perfect traditional quote unquote college journey to, uh, you know, get these really cool opportunities and go to a great university. You know, I think that's what your story has kind of taught us today is like, you don't have to, I think this is the biggest thing I've taken from you is you don't have to have the perfect pathway. You just have to keep pushing forward and or you don't have to have the perfect vision of what you want your life to be, but you just have to keep pushing forward. And you don't have to have a perfect space economy. You just have to keep pushing forward, right? Everything I think you've showed us is like, it doesn't have to be perfect right now, but the thing is you just have to keep going both in your story, in what you're doing and everything. So we're just so grateful that you've joined us on. Thank you so much, Chris. We're walking away so much smarter, but thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. It's been a real pleasure, Katie Ann. Thanks again. I think a lot of times the feeling of fear comes from a lack of control in our lives. And our sponsor, PowerPay, is offering a money master course that's normally $40 for free to all Full Confidence Ahead podcast listeners so you can take control of your finances this year. The course is video-based and gives you real-life money smarts. So to claim your course, go to extensioncourses.usu.edu slash Pal, which is K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N-P-O-W-E-L-L, and it'll automatically add the money master course to your cart and you just click checkout and you'll get it for free. You can also access your course by going to extensioncourses.usu.edu and finding the Money Master course under the finance category, then using the code KATIEANN, K-A-T-I-E-A-N-N, with no spaces, to claim your $40 discount and free course at checkout. So let's master our money together. Thanks for listening in on the Full Confidence Ahead podcast. Weekly on Tuesdays, we'll continue our journey of confidence together through new interviews and insights. Make sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on the latest conversations and confidence boosts. And by the way, you got this because you deserve to live life full confidence ahead. See you next week.